Oh, there we go. Does anyone else have problems with your mask getting hooked on your glasses? This is like in a knot. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, in case you haven't heard, Pastor Steve and Sister Lori are both feeling under the weather. Uh, I believe it's just a, you know, basically some kind of chest cold or something like that. So uh, Pastor Steve called me, I don't know, 5 o'clock yesterday, something like that. Um, so the funny part is when Pastor Steve called, I was putting drywall mud on the ceiling in our bathroom. And like two seconds before the phone rang, this big blob came down and landed right on my face. <laughs> Thankfully, I wasn't in the middle of swearing when Pastor Steve called. <laughs> But if you would, I'd like to us just to take a minute and uh, pray for him and pray for Lori and their household, uh, just that they would be well, that they would be able to recover and uh, rise up and go forward. So let's pray just for a minute. Father, we thank you. Father, first of all, above everything, we thank you just for who you are. Thank you for your presence in our lives, Lord. And today we take a moment. We thank you for our pastor and his wife and his family. Lord, we pray against every spirit of infirmity and illness that would attack their family. We speak wellness and wholeness and healing into their bodies, into their lives, into their homes. Father, we pray that you'd be glorified in raising them up quickly, in healing them, and moving them forward in their purpose and in their calling. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Titus chapter 3. Paul's letter to Titus. Does anyone still carry one of these to church? How about notes? Does anyone ever take notes in church anymore? Hallelujah. All right. I have trouble remembering and processing a sermon without following along and taking some notes. Titus chapter 3. This is uh, a thought that I had been uh, sitting on, and I think we're going to see this as a word in season now. Pastor Steve and Pastor Sean have been working through uh, the, the book of 1 John. That will pick up next week. Uh, they kind of have that mapped out. I'm sort of interjecting here. Uh, but let's read from Titus chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And I want to minister a sermon I'm calling The Call to Kindness. The Call to Kindness. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. He writes, remind them, being Christians. Let me just pause here. This is a letter from Paul to someone he had installed, Titus, to pastor and lead and oversee multiple churches on the island of Crete. And so Paul, this is a pastoral letter. This is one pastor writing to another pastor as a leader and bringing instruction. Let's go back. Remind them, who? The believers in Crete to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But... When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, 
Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. I want to look first at my first point as from degenerate to regenerate. Because if you look at verse 3, we see the what I will call the degenerative influence of sin in our lives apart from Christ. A saying that I have always held on to since the day I got saved is that sin will take you to places you swore you'd never go and cause you to associate with people you swore you'd never associate with and do things you swore you would never do. Because when sin takes hold, it takes on a life of its own and it is a type of bondage and control that leads us downward. Can you say amen? The uh, word degenerate means to diminish in quality, to decline or deteriorate. For example, a conversation can degenerate into an argument Or a physical ailment can be what they call a degenerative ailment. I've heard many people talk about having a degenerative disc in their back, for instance, or something like that. It's something that continues to break down. Now, there's a lot of modern talk about, what do they say? Become a better version of yourself. How many of you have heard that that phrase lately? Listen, Christianity is not just a self-help tool to become a better version of yourself. It is a means of becoming a new self. Amen. Let me just make that clear. Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not a psychology program. It's a life change that happens in the heart. Can you say amen? And there's all this talk of becoming a better version of yourself. There are self-realization techniques. There are an assortment in billions and billions of dollars in industry of self-improvement products and programs. But I want to tell you that in our heart of hearts, in our minds, left to ourselves, we, we degenerate. We don't necessarily become better with age. Can you say Amen. In fact, what I've witnessed is that many, many people become worse with age and the ugly part of their lives becomes most manifest in the later part of their lives. Uh Uh-oh. All right, I'll move on from that one. But look at verse 3. Paul talks about the, the degenerative effect. He says, we ourselves were once foolish. Biblically, to be foolish means that you're empty-headed or that you behave in a way that does not give thought to the consequences. Can anyone relate to that? Acting impulsively, if you will. Disobedient. I don't think I need to, (laughs) I don't, I don't think I need to explain that one. Deceived. Then he says, serving various lusts and pleasures. In other words, people give themselves over to different kinds of addictions. And let me just say, addiction doesn't have to be a drug. Addiction doesn't have to be an alcohol. I've known people that were addicted to self-pity. A lust is any overarching emotion that begins to control your life and your decisions. 
I've known people that were addicted to anger. I've known people that were addicted to control, people that were addicted to manipulation. Lusts and pleasures, obviously the pleasures part, can begin to go into sexual actions and sexual bondage and different things like that. But there is an, there, actually, I'm just going to say it, there is a God-given peace of the human being that is addictive in nature. We are, every one of us is addictive in nature. We're made to be addicted to Jesus. Amen. Anyone remember that DC talk song? I'm aging myself. This is good stuff. We're made to be addicted to God. But when we don't turn that towards God, something else comes in and fills that gap. It could be greed. It could be any number of different things. It could be that electronic device in our hands. Uh Uh-oh. He says, living in malice. Malice is evil intent. And envy, hateful, and hating one another. Amen. This is the degenerative effect of sin. And I can tell you that prior to getting saved, I was a degenerate sinner. My life was not improving. My thing was drugs. I was always looking for a better high. Can you say amen? Some of you can relate. And so uh, I, I think there's enough about that, but because of the grace of God, the good news is that this degenerate has become a regenerate. Glory to God. Because in verses 4 and 5 of our text, we see who Jesus is and we see his work in, in our lives. So I know that's important every day. We need to think about who is Jesus And what is he working in my life? Can you say amen? And so we're going to come back to verse 4, but verse 5 gives us great insight. It says that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Glory to God. Through the washing, and there's that word, of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I bore you guys whenever I preach with the meaning of words, don't I? But sometimes we read these Bible words like regeneration and we really don't know what they mean. So I do this not to bore you, but so that you can get a richer understanding of your Bible, okay? This word regeneration, do we have that slide? Regeneration, there it is. Now, I'm not going to pronounce, I'm not going to, palingentia, I don't know. The word palin, which is the prefix in this word, means again, and genesis, which means new birth. In other words, regeneration is talking about getting born again. Vine's Bible Dictionary says that this word is used of spiritual regeneration involving the communication of new life, the two operating powers to produce which are the word of truth, 1 Peter 1.23, and the Holy Spirit. Regeneration stretches the inception of a new state of things in contrast with the old. Next one. Next slide. Next slide. There we are. Regeneration stresses the inception of a new state of things in contrast to the old. That means that we are a new creature in Christ. Can you say Amen. 
And we see the operation of this happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the next thing Paul talks about is the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Let's look at that word renewing. Next slide, please. Again, and that kenosis, whatever that means. It means a renewal, a renovation, complete change for the better, effected by the Holy Spirit. Again, Vine's Bible Dictionary says that renewal in this passage stresses the continual operation of the indwelling Spirit of God. Look at verse 6 in Titus chapter 3. It says, whom, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom can we communicate very clearly? The Holy Spirit is not a what, not an it, but a who. He is the third person of the, of the eternal Godhead. He is fully God. He indwells us. And the Bible says that God the Father has poured out the Holy Spirit on us, not in a little trickle, not just in a little bit, not in just enough, but abundantly, glory to God. Listen, church, I'm going to encourage you that there is an abundance of the Holy Spirit to be had in your life. Hallelujah. That having been justified, verse 7, by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. We can go, and if you're sitting here today, and you're struggling with habits, if you're struggling with yourself, if you're wrestling with yourself, and you're finally learning that most of the time, you are your own worst enemy, and you, for all your attempts to climb up, you keep sliding further back down, I want to encourage you that you can go from degenerate to regenerate. Glory to God. Again, we're allowed to use outside voices in church. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. Let's define that. All sexual activity outside of wedlock. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11 is what I love. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah! Such were some of you. You don't have to stay the way you are. You don't have to continue to be what you've been. There can be a change in your life. You can experience the new birth, the regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Ghost by the mercy of God and not by your works. Glory to God. This is what God does. He takes degenerates in sin and makes them regenerates in Christ. Hallelujah. So let's look secondly at the kindness of God. Because the driver in this process of change is found in verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. This word appeared is where we get our modern word epiphany. And it means to become visible, to bring to light, to become clearly known, or to show oneself. Can we have that slide, guys? 
Epiphany. There it is. Appeared to become visible, to bring to light, to become clearly known, or to show oneself. And the Bible says that the love and the kindness of God appeared. How was that? This was in the very person and incarnation of Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus was and is and always will be the love and the kindness of God come in the flesh. Some of you are going, huh? Well, we sang earlier that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. We've been studying 1 John. The whole point of 1 John is to combat the error of Gnosticism which taught that Jesus did not come as God in the flesh. It is important that we know this. Amen. I, I don't know why. I feel some of you going, whoa, wait a minute. But for the sake of this message... I want to focus on this word kindness in verse 4. The word kindness from helps uh, uh, word studies means spirit produce, produce goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness and cruelty. Go back that, to that last one again, please. Look at that. Spirit produce goodness which meets the need, first of all, and avoids human harshness and cruelty. Next slide. Spirit-filled life Bible. Kindness is goodness in action. Sweetness of disposition. The word describes the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. Oh! Acting for the welfare of those Taxing your patience. Spirit produced goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness and cruelty. This is the heart of God, church. This is who Jesus was and is. Can you say amen? Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 gives us great insight into the heart of God. He says, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Kindness in action, kindness in the flesh. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Through him, Jesus. This is what God does. This is God's kindness. Listen to the end of Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. Well, uh, you know what? Let, let me read the whole thing because this is so true. God's interaction with the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. We sang that song. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Remember that? But here's what Nehemiah says. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Church, this is the God we serve. This is the kindness of God. Amen. So let's look lastly, thirdly, 
at the call to kindness. Because if kindness is the heart of God expressed to us in Christ, then his kindness should flow through us and be expressed in us. Let's look at Galatians 3, or 5.22, which is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Amen. Goodness. Faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 13.4 Love is patient and what? Kind. All I can say is that in the current climate of our culture, godly kindness is desperately needed in our Christian witness and our testimony in the world. Amen. To most, kindness is a personality trait, isn't it? He's a very kind person, meaning, you know, I don't want to pick on Mr. Rogers, but, you know, that's the kind of first example that came to my mind. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to my neighborhood. But, you know, Mr. Rogers went a step further in just sort of having a kind personality. How many have ever read about a time where Mr. Rogers invited an African-American onto his show. And there was some kind of controversy about African-Americans not be able, being allowed to be in the same pool as Caucasian-Americans. And Mr. Rogers purposely interviewed this African-American male, both of them with one foot in the same pool. That's Kindness. That's setting an example. Can you say amen? That's going a a step further beyond just personality. Let's review again the definition of kindness. It is goodness in action. It is the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. It is spirit-produced goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness and cruelty. And think about this in contrast to the world that we're living in. We live in a very cruel world. My problem is, is that more and more, and I've seen this, you know, I got saved back in 1984. I'm sounding old, aren't I? But I've watched Christianity. I've lived Christianity. I've been a part of it. And I'm just going to go on record. I saw a sea change especially begin to happen around 1992. What happened in 1992? An election happened in 1992. And George Bush Sr. lost to the governor of Arkansas, a man named Bill Clinton. And right around that time, and again, I know I'm stepping on on touchy ground here, but this is where we see the worst of things so much of the time. A certain political party began to harness what they call the evangelical vote. And they made evangelical Christianity a sort of a voting block of its own. Conservative talk radio came on the air. And at that point, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on record. I can say that at that point in time, something toxic began to enter the church in its affiliation with politics. Let me tell you, a political gospel is a false gospel. I'm going to say it again. 
A political gospel is a false gospel. And what I see today is a continuation because we, you know, we're, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go on record and think we're going to see quite the wild ride leading up to the midterms in two years. If we haven't seen enough of a wild ride already. Because in those years, something called the Republican Revolution took place in the midterms of 1994, and all kinds of promises were made, and all kinds of things. We're going to change Washington. We're going to change the country. We're going to institute moral law, and all, all these different things. And You know, listen, I'm not necessarily advocating some of the craziness that's been coming through Washington. I just don't think Washington is our hope. Amen. I still vote my conscience. I still vote my morals according to Scripture. But I have no faith in politicians. Because some of those same politicians who entered into office in 1994 with a promise of term limits and all manner of different things are still, are still there. And they haven't changed a thing. You know what the first thing, the, uh, I'll just say the conservative side of the aisle pushed for? Once they get, because that year they got control of the House of Representatives again, and I believe the Senate, and her first order of business was to push for a crime bill. Anyone heard about that? That was pushed for by the party of, quote, conservatism. And you know what that crime bill ended up doing? It ended up unjustly and in a completely imbalanced way, incarcerating thousands upon thousands of African Americans. It built a private prison system that profited off of having people behind bars. It sounded good on paper. We've got to be about law and order. We've got to punish criminals. But now, 30 years later, we kind of have seen how it worked out, don't we? Uh-oh. Pastor, I thought you weren't going to preach on politics. I'm just trying to go somewhere because I see so many people jumping on this bandwagon of cruelty, especially in politics. Listen. What are we doing going on social media as Christians who are called to kindness, calling people, quote, libtards? Or all manner of different names? Is that our Christian witness? Is that who we're called to be? Because my Bible says that we're called to kindness. Kindness is spirit-produced goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness and cruelty. It is goodness in action. It is the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. This is what God did with us. This is what we're called to do in the world. So I remember as our kids got older, Julie and I... Uh, I'm not, I don't know what decision we'd make right now because schools have really, really gotten crazy. But we went through public schools. And at that, up until then, I'm going to be honest, what we do as Christians, we, we live, and this is human nature. Can, can you follow me here? 
We live in an echo chamber. We surround ourselves with people like ourselves. And we create this Christian world that we live in where we only associate with Christians. We only listen to Christian stuff. We only watch Christian stuff. And we put ourselves in this Christian bubble and we have little to no association with the outside world. And so as our kids got older, our kids began to go to school, we began to get heavily involved with the PTO in a public school. We need Christians involved in PTOs in public schools. Uh, as our kids got interested in sports, I began to coach. As they moved into high school, they, we jumped full tilt boogie. We had such a good time with high school football, i got to be honest. Both of our sons played high school football, and I don't know who had more fun with it, us or them. But we got into the booster clubs, booster clubs for baseball, booster clubs for football. Our daughter began to ride horses and compete through Mount Holyoke College, and we began to uh, uh, support her and get involved with her riding team. And you know what we began to learn and what we began to see? Was sometimes that outside world, which we were so busy pointing our fingers at and calling names, treated one another better than Christians do. We began to get convicted, seeing the way people supported one another, seeing the way people helped one another, seeing the way people picked one another up. These are the same people we're calling names, we're looking down on. Uh Uh-oh. Realize we got to find a better way. You know, I'll just be very honest, I lived it in church too, even as a pastor. I'm just going to be, can I be brutally honest with you all? Is that okay? We went through a church split way back, 2007. We went through a split in the church we were pastoring, and there was uh, at least one or two individuals that really hurt us bad. But I'm going to be honest with you. I started playing dirty too. I began to put out little tidbits of gossip, little tidbits of information through people that I knew would spread it. Began to play dirty to defend myself and defend my right to be right. The truth has to get out. You know, years later, God convicted me and I wrote a letter of apology to that individual. Because I played dirty. And we behaved worse in the church then the world behaves half the time. Why? Because this element of kindness was missing. This element of godly kindness was missing. Let me throw this out there when we're talking about godly kindness. How about your marriage? Those of you who are married. How are you treating one another? You ever get in the aisle of Walmart or Home Depot or somewhere like that and you hear a married couple in the, other, in the, in the next aisle over or whatever and the way they speak to each other is just awful. Harsh. Belittling. Like, man, if they speak to each other like that in a store, what's it like at home? We need this kindness in our marriage because it involves those who tax our, 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 our patience. 
See, our text here is calling upon people. What Paul is writing and instructing Titus to tell people, remind people where they come from and how they ought to behave in light of that. We come from being degenerates. We've been made regenerates. And so he gives instruction, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Why? Because we were used to be degenerate just like them. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking... We need a slide, guys. There it is. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. He's writing to Christians. Hey, would you be kind to one another? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I wonder what kind of revival we begin to have if we begin to cultivate this culture in our church. If we begin to cultivate this kind of culture whenever we go to work, wherever we associate with an outside world, in the ways that we behave ourselves. Are you following me here? I want to close with one last passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 6. Just need to flip back there. Luke 6, 31 through 36. Every time I read this, I get really convicted. Verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Imagine that, the golden rule. Ask yourself, would you want to be treated the way you're treating that person? Before you comment on social media, would you want to be spoken to the way that you're, you're trying to express yourself there? Or are you a, a, a brave keyboard warrior who would run away in an actual eye-to-eye conversation? And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Listen to this. For He is kind to the unthankful 
and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Isn't that what brought you to salvation? I don't know about you, but you know, hellfire and brimstone isn't what melted me and brought me to my knees. It was God showing me and opening my eyes how much he loved me that completely broke me inside. And I want to challenge us, church. I'm challenging myself, too. I'm not just, I'm not just hey, all you. It's challenge for me, too, okay? Let's go forward this week and resolve before God, I want to be kind as you are kind. You brought me to yourself through your kindness. May I bring others to you through your kindness expressed in me. Can we say amen? Let's take a minute and pray. Father, I'm so thankful that you were so good and so kind to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our hearts and changing us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our lives. Lord, we just pray today and we repent before you. I acknowledge, Father, that I have been less than kind on many, many, many occasions. Father, our prayer today is that we would not operate merely out of human kindness, but that the fruit of the Holy Spirit of kindness and goodness would work through our lives. Lord, that you would increase and we may decrease, and that you would work in us and you would work through us, and that we would be light bearers and those that express your kindness and your goodness to a fallen world. And Lord, we pray today that you would continue to work in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus, that you would bless us, Lord, as we leave this place, and we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.